It's 12.09. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So glad to have you with us. All right, let's get started. If you want to actually see a video of these ads, you can text me the word ad, AD, to 414-799-1620. Let us review the bidding. Um, Less than four weeks from today, actually four weeks from last Tuesday, there will be a primary election. Democrat primary voters will choose who will be the sacrificial lamb to challenge Governor Walker. Republican primary voters will choose whether or not Kevin Nicholson or Leah Vukmir get the right to run against Tammy Baldwin in November. All right, let's just lay our cards on the table here. Both Nicholson and Vukmir are good Republicans. They are solid conservatives. Either one would be a good candidate. Matter of fact, on the issues, I don't think there is one smidgen of difference between Vukmir and Nicholson. Now, maybe they would say otherwise, but I I will tell you, I've interviewed them both on multiple occasions. I've known Leah Vukmir for years, Kevin Nicholson for less time, but I... If you were to look, if either one of those were to, people were to get elected to the U.S. Senate in November, take office in January, my guess is four years from now, the voting records would be pretty much identical. So how do you choose between the, the two candidates? Well, it's it's a matter, I think, of substance and style and experience and you know who you like better. Um, who you think maybe is better suited to run against Tammy Baldwin. All those are valid factors. But the truth of the matter is, on the issues, they are, I think, pretty much identical. They both support Second Amendment rights. They both will be a reliable vote for Donald Trump You know, in the U.S. Senate. They are both conservatives. Kevin Nicholson has a very, very interesting background. You know, he talks about it all the time. He was in the military. He was a Democrat. He's become a Republican. He's, you know, opened his eyes. Very open about that. Leah Vukmir, well known to voters across the state, particularly in southeastern Wisconsin. She has been part of the Republican revolution for the better part of the last really two decades. Um, you look at a lot of the stuff that was accomplished. Leah Vukmir supported that. She's got a solid track record. They're both good candidates. And again, choosing between them, who do you know? Who do you think is the better candidate to take on Tammy Baldwin? But if you're trying to figure out, gee, is there a divide? Is there some dividing line? Is somebody more conservative? Is somebody more likely to be squishy on this issue or that? I, I good luck finding it because I, I just don't see it. They're both. Solid candidates. Well, there's three plus weeks before the primary election. And what is going on now is both of these candidates have supporters who are involved with political action committees. These political action committees are it's the so-called dark money. Now, I don't have. I don't have an issue with these groups. Some people think it's terrible. I don't have an issue with these groups. I think, you know, they can come in to various states. They can run ads either supporting their candidate or attacking other candidates. And that is precisely what is happening. In the last couple of days, you've had two political action committees, one that is supporting Leah Vukmir, one that is supporting Kevin Nicholson, and they have begun running ads in heavy rotation on in our Milwaukee in the Milwaukee TV market and I suspect otherwise. All right. If you want to see the ads, text me the word ad AD, I will send you a link to it. But I'm going to play you the majority of the audio from each of these two ads. Gru, which one do we have first? Is it the 
Okay, this is this is an ad being run by the National Club for Growth. They support Kevin Nicholson. This is an attack ad against um, Leah Vukmir. Who exactly is Leah Vukmir? Well, Vukmir wrote a letter seeking leniency for a fellow state legislator convicted of sexual assault. Vukmir claimed the open records law didn't apply to her, got sued, lost, and cost taxpayers $15,000 in legal fees. And Vukmir voted to boost her own taxpayer-paid travel expense account. Who is Leah Vukmir? Just a typical politician. All right, so that's being run by the the National Club for Growth. Um, These are people supporting Kevin Nicholson. They're spending a lot of money. Who is Leah Vukmir? She supports... She supports this Republican legislature, legislator accused of sexual assault. Well, okay, is Leah Vukmir soft on sexual assault? The story behind this is, you might remember, uh, Bill Kramer, who was a state representative from Waukesha, um, and actually was one of the higher-ups in the state assembly, I believe. Um, he ended up, he ended up resigning in disgrace. And um, he faced some criminal charges as a result of misconduct. At his sentencing, she wrote a letter saying, essentially, I've known Bill for over 12 years. I consider him a friend. I've known Bill when he was drinking. I've known him when he was not. This, um, I, I think um, we, he's recognized that, you know, he's got a problem with alcohol. He's trying to get his life together. All right. If, if that makes her soft on sexual assault, well, it, it makes her soft on sexual assault. But I don't buy it. But anyhow, you, you heard that ad. All right. Now, on the flip side, there is a political action committee who is running an ad against Kevin Nicholson on behalf of Leah Vukmir. Kevin Nicholson makes no secret of the fact that 20 years ago, you know, he was active in the Democrat Party. Here is the attack ad against Nicholson. President Trump needs an ally he can trust in the U.S. Senate. That's not Kevin Nicholson. Nicholson on life. We care about a woman's right to choose. That's pro-choice. A woman's right to choose must be protected. Kevin Nicholson addressed the Democratic National Convention. The Democratic Party shares our values. Kevin Nicholson, we can't trust him. Fortunately, there's a consistent conservative running for U.S. Senate, Leah Vukmir. Okay, and and the video that accompanies that um, shows clips of Nicholson in 2000 or 2002. He was the president of the College Democrats, um, you know, speaking. So, I mean, it, it's it, it is true. It, it, the ads are accurate. Yes, these are the things he was saying 16 years ago. Nicholson makes no secret of the fact that he has had what he describes as a conversion, and that you know, after he started a family. You know, after he got involved in the military, he began to, quote, see the error of his ways. So anyhow, these are the ads that are dominating the airwaves right now. Heavy rotation, Leah Vukmir, awful person, you know, fought an open records request, soft on, you know, stood up for a guy accused of sexual assault. Nicholson, well, he you can't be trusted. You know who the real winner of this mud bowl is? And it's it, this isn't a hard one. It's Tammy Baldwin. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I think both candidates should be publicly calling on these political action committees that are running these ads for them. Now, these aren't ads being run by the campaign, but I think both of them should put out a joint statement 
saying, we are calling on the club for growth. We are calling on next Wisconsin or whatever the political action to immediately cease and desist running attack ads in this race. Because the only person that wins from this scorched earth approach is Tammy Baldwin. And candidly, as somebody who is likely to vote, who will be voting in the Republican primary, and I haven't decided, truthfully, I've decided who I'm going to vote for. But as somebody who's going to be voting in the Republican primary, I don't want to say the next, spend the next four weeks seeing the Republicans go after each other in this fashion, should the candidates jointly Call on these groups that are uh, that are supporting them to knock this crap off. 414-799-1620. My answer is yes. That would be a show of leadership from both the Nicholson and the Vukmir campaigns. What do you think? 414-799-1620. Should they call on these groups to knock it off? 1218, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. If you're on the line, please hold on. Twelve twenty one, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Those who forget history are doomed to repeat it. Six years ago, there was a contested Republican primary. This club for growth spent a ton of money, hundreds of thousands, maybe millions of dollars, in running attack ads on, uh, as it turned out, the ultimate Republican winner, former Governor Tommy Thompson. He ended up winning the Republican primary, but his campaign was essentially broke from fighting off these attack ads, this kind of scorched earth theory. Uh, Club for Growth then decided they were going to abandon Republicans in Wisconsin. They didn't run any ads. They stopped putting money into the race, didn't run any ads for Governor Thompson. Tammy Baldwin ended up building up a big lead. She was on the air constantly for the better part of a month, and then Thompson never caught up. The same thing is playing out right now. You turn on the television and you will see one of these touchy-feely ads from Terry Tammy Baldwin talking about how she loves puppies and children and whatever. Meanwhile, in the Republican primary, you've got these outside political action committees. These aren't the candidates, but there's these PAC political action committees who are running these trashy, let's burn down scorched earth things. Leah Vukmir wrote a letter of support for a child, for a, a sexual assaulter. You know, Kevin Nicholson was in support of abortion uh, 20 years ago. I mean, for goodness sakes, people, you know, and I understand the candidates don't control these political action committees, but here's what could happen. It could happen five minutes from now. Both Nicholson and Vukmir could get together and make a public statement. We've got multiple lines. They could call this show. We could put them on jointly and they could both simply say, we are calling for the political action committees that are spending hundreds of thousands, millions of dollars in ads in the primary supporting us, we are calling on them to knock off the negative campaigning. If some political action committee wants to write and run an ad talking about how great Kevin Nicholson is or how great Leah Vukmir is, fine. But we are calling on them to knock off this scorched earth crap running the negative ads, because the only person that benefits is Tammy Baldwin. That would be the grown-up thing to do, and the two candidates could jointly do it with one one statement. They could do it with one phone call if they are willing to do it. And the fact that they don't shows that, despite the fact that maybe they go through interviews and say, well, you know, we, we just don't like this, 
the fact that they're not willing to call out and to say, look, let's, let's have mutual disarmament on this thing. The fact that they're not willing to do it says that, you know, maybe at their heart of hearts, they really do support this. Our text line. Let's see. Yes, yes, yes. Exactly what I've been thinking. Thanks for bringing it up. I really hope they do this. Save the money for the real election, too. Here's another text. I agree um, with you. Both of these groups need to stop. Isn't the goal to beat Tammy Baldwin in November? If they want to go negative, run an attack at it. Baldwin, what they are doing now is not constructive. No, it's not constructive at all. Mitch texts, I agree. Run competitive and clean races, unsullied by outside interests, then unite behind the nominee. See, and that's, that is what my point is. Do, do these groups have the right to run these ads? Yes, I, I, they have the right to do it. But this is not constructive. These outside groups spending this money trying to influence the election in this way simply from a political perspective give aid and comfort to the opposition. And the opposition is Tammy Baldwin. I hope everybody grows up. This is the kind of stuff that happened six years ago. And I don't know. It was the year Obama was running for re-election. It was a a very heavily pro-Democrat year. I don't know if Tommy Thompson or any of the other candidates would have been able under the circumstances, you know, six years ago to beat Tammy Baldwin. I don't know. But I will tell you the bitter Republican primary and all the outside spending didn't help. It didn't help that effort. And I am afraid we are starting to see this all over again, especially given the fact that Vukmir and Nicholson are both quality candidates. They're both conservatives. And that's the thing that's mind-boggling about this, that a lot of people who see these ads won't realize neither one of them is the devil. They're, they're just they're just not. Both of them, I think, would vote pretty much essentially the same. How you decide to vote is going to decide based on, I don't know, if you've met somebody, if you know somebody, their personal characteristics, whether you like one better than the other, who you think has the better chance of winning. But this idea that, oh, this is terrible, this person can't be trusted or that person can't be trusted, give me a break. 1226, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 1235, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. The second half of the baseball season is upon us, and the pennant race begins. The Brewers are back at Miller Park tomorrow night as they welcome the Los Angeles Dodgers to town. Mr. Baseball, Bob Euchre is in the booth. Our coverage starts at 635 Friday night. That would be tomorrow night. Uh, Again, I think you want to be tuned in because I think the next two weeks are critical in the Brewers season. You know that they ended... They just ran out of gas at the end of the first. They had that, that brutal stretch of, what, 21 games in 20 days or whatever, lots of injuries. Um, but still, I mean, 12 games over 500. It's If you would have said at the start of the season, hey, you can come out of the All-Star break, 12 games over 500, in the lead for the wild card spot, two and a half games behind the Cubs, but tied with a number of wins, everybody would have said, bring it on. It's just the way they got there that I think has been a little bit disappointing. So, Let's let's say good first part of the season, but now now the challenge is, and again, I say that the next two weeks are going to be critical home series against the Dodgers and the Nationals, and then on the road against the Dodgers and the uh, Giants. That's that's tough out of the box. So we'll see how the Brewers respond to it. It is a challenge. And this is how you see, you know, what Craig Council, the veteran leadership, that type of stuff. Will they step forward? It'd be nice to get some of the players back off the disabled list and get them performing like Ryan Braun and Eric Thames and the like. All right. We have discussed this once or twice over the last couple weeks. 
I admit I am intrigued by this story, and I'm intrigued by the latest developments. Uh, Bird Scooters, it's a company, if you haven't been following the story, that makes these motorized scooters. You know, you, you not not motorbikes, not motor scooters, but, you know, the, the scooters, maybe you had one as a kid where, you know, you put your one foot on it and you then run the other foot, kind of like the Fred Flintstone thing, and then you get the wheels going and it goes. Okay, these these are scooters. They are motorized scooters, though. They are capable of going like 15 to 20 miles an hour. The way the business model for this company works, and they operate now in probably about 30 cities, is they take a whole bunch of these scooters. They drop them off on streets throughout the city. There's not, there's not a bird scooter store that you go to. There's not like there's four rental car locations for whatever rental car across the, the, the county. That's not it. They drop them off on the streets. What happens is you then download an app and you register and you give them presumably your credit card number. And then when you want one of these scooters, you just go to the app and the app tells you where a scooter is. And then you go. So let's say you're on. You're on the corner of uh, Jackson and Kilbourne, and, and you want a scooter. And so you, you put that in, and it says, hey, there's a scooter a block away. You, you go, and you, and you go to the scooter. You pick it up. You register somehow. I haven't done this myself. And then you, you pay, I think it's a dollar to activate it, and then it's like 15 cents for every every minute or something like that. And then you ride the scooter. That's it. And then when you're done riding the scooter, you just leave it wherever you are. And then the next person, somebody that's in that area of, you know, downloads the app and finds it. Kind of like hailing a cab, you know, in, in some respect. You don't call for the cab, you just kind of hail the cab. That is the business model. The company then at night goes out and it rounds up all the scooters that are just left wherever they're left. They bring them in, they service them, recharge them, whatever, and then they put them back out on the streets the next morning. That's that is the business model that operates. The city of Milwaukee has a number of issues with these. First of all, the city takes the position that these things are illegal under state law. The state has not taken that position, but but the city of Milwaukee has. The city says that these are um, essentially they're, they're the equivalent of motor vehicles. They're the equivalent of motorcycles. And they need to be registered, and you need to have a driver's license. You cannot operate these legally on the sidewalks or in the bike lanes. You can't do that. The state has not taken that position. So, And no judge has ruled on that. But the city has said, we've determined that these things are illegal. That matter is now in court. So they sued Byrd, trying to get a declaration that these things are illegal, Bird has removed moved the case to federal court. That case is, that is pending. The city also has a number of other objections to these things, saying that um, apart from the whole issue of uh, whether they're legal or not, there are insurance issues. You know what happens if somebody gets hurt while they're driving them? What happens if somebody hurts somebody else? The city also says we take the position these things are illegal. So we take the position that if somebody is operating it. You're on that scooter. You can be stopped, and you can give be given a hundred dollar ticket um, that you, the operator, would be responsible for, not Bird. So they say this is all kind of a fraud. But the city is doing everything it can to try to stop them. Yesterday, um, a common council committee voted to 
declare these things as illegal and um, ban them inside the city and give the city the right to confiscate them. So that's that's the direction that this is going. Our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Feel free to disagree with me on this. But I think the city is approaching this in completely the wrong fashion. I think these things have the potential to be an asset. There's all, they're already very popular. I mean, the, the bird dropped these things off. You got people using them up and down the lakefront. You've got people, you know, using them in the urban area. These things are extremely popular. And rather than taking the approach of we need to outlaw them and we need to confiscate them, I think the flip side, which should be going on here, is bird, the city, and the state should all be getting together and trying to figure out how can we have these things. First of all, is it legal? Is it not legal? Cities should be asking for an opinion from the attorney general or whoever. Are these things legal or, or not? That's the first thing. If the determination is that they're not, and that might well be the correct analysis, then, as Scott Walker was saying the other day, all right, maybe we need to either figure out how to make an exception for these or change the law or whatever. I guess to me the underlying question is, should people be able to operate in this business model? Is this something that would be good for the city? Namely, all right, you pick up one of these scooters, you're able to rent it, just like you can rent bicycles now. Now, granted, the bicycles aren't just dropped off willy-nilly. There's places where you have to lock them. But you've got, you know, you've got all these bicycles that can easily be ridden and rented, and we're encouraging that. It's a good thing. It's a way for people to get around. Should we be trying to do the same thing? Instead of trying to find a way to say no, should we be trying to find a way to say yes to these things? And I will tell you, now, given what, what I think is Tom's trolley folly, the, the, the streetcar, I think these are things, uh, Tom Barrett, to me, should be trying to figure out a way to integrate this, because this is a way that I could actually see Maybe you make the silly trolley a little bit more useful because the trolley doesn't go anywhere. But let's say you're at the bus station. You take the trolley a mile and a half. It drops you off. You're still you're three quarters of a mile or whatever away from where you want to go. Hey, you get some of these scooters. You use it. You go on over. Now, am I going to do that? No. But would millennials do that? Would younger people do it? I, I don't. I don't think this is. I think these are ways we should be trying to figure out a way to make this work instead of trying to figure out a way to say no. 414-799-1620. Let's start with Robert in the North Shore. Hi, Robert. Hey, thank you. Yes, sir. Uh, I'm all for them, and I think I bought last off a chair yesterday when I heard Bauman talking about wearing insurance. Why don't they uh, really uh, focus on maybe all the drivers that don't have car insurance? What are they doing? Are they chasing these people around? Absolutely not. It's a joke. <sighs> well, that, you know, Robert, I am so glad you called. That's right. Bob Bauman 
He says his line was, well, this company is just giving us the middle finger. Well, maybe to an extent they are, but maybe you should be like the bigger person here. And you're right. He, he's concerned with insurance. Yeah. What are we doing in the city of Milwaukee to stop all these people who are driving on suspended licenses with who don't have insurance? Because I, my guess is you can do a heck of a lot more damage with an automobile than you can with these scooters. No question about it. Now, thanks to call 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, I do think think that there are some legitimate questions. You know, wh- should these be able to be operated on a sidewalk or maybe should you have to be, you know, in a bike lane? I mean, I, I think these are these are interesting. These are questions. But rather than we're going to outlaw these, we're going to figure out how to confiscate these. To me, the committee should be saying, all right, is this something we want? And, and how is this going to be good for the city? And how do we figure out a way to make this work? Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. We continue the conversation. It's twelve forty four. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Twelve forty seven. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Somebody asked me, and and I, I, I don't know the answer. These bub, um, these bubbler bikes. That that's the private partnership, pro, public private partnership with the city and the bikes, which is a Milwaukee area not for profit where you can go and you can like rent the bikes at the different bike racks and drop them. I don't know if they have insurance. I mean, I, I don't know if I rent a bike and I drive down a sidewalk and run somebody over. I, I don't know if the bike company has the insurance. I, I, I was going to say, I don't think so, but I don't know that for one, but I mean, I, I don't know what, why are these motorized scooters really any different than that. Here's a text. Very pro scooters. I think it's a quick, efficient transportation for short distances around downtown Milwaukee. The $100 fine that is flaunted um, is not being enforced by the Milwaukee police. It really doesn't scare riders off as the city hoped it would. In terms of safety, these are no different than riding a bicycle through urban Milwaukee. I think that people should give them a shot. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to, uh, let's see, Ray in Brown Deer. Hi, Ray. Hi, how, how are you? Good. Um, so I have a son that lives in San Francisco and a daughter who lives in New York, and they have similar things. Um, and actually, in San Francisco, they've really taken it to uh, the nth degree, where you not only can you get scooters, but then scooters like Vespas, and then bicycles, and even cars. And so whenever we go, and the same concept, you could you use them, and you drop them off wherever it's convenient. Right. And it, it's so convenient as a visitor to those cities because, you know, just kind of like Milwaukee, um, you can go from neighborhood to neighborhood, and it, it's just—it's it, very convenient, and, and it makes it enjoyable too. Mm-hmm. Um, now they had a problem initially where people were making little jokes, and they put these scooters in funny places up right. on trees and things like that. But they kind of sort of since sort that out. I, I really don't understand what Milwaukee's problem is. They, they want to attract young people. Young people like this kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, well, right. You, I mean, on a on a nice, I mean, on a nice summer day, you drop a bunch of these things off at the lakefront. And, and matter of fact, that's where they're being used heavily. You know, you have all sorts of people that come along. Hey, this is great. I want to walk. I want to go. I want to travel up and down the lakefront, but don't necessarily want to walk or run. So here, I'm going to rent one of these scooters. It's a great way for people to to use that. And we, I, I mean, I, I'm with you, Ray. I think we should be embracing that. I think there's legitimate questions that are there, starting with, are these things legal? But instead of saying, we're going to confiscate and we're going to fight this, to me, it should be, what could we do to figure out a way to make this work? Because I think it would be positive for the city. Yeah, I mean, there's plenty of... Um 
um, other cases, like I said, San Francisco and New York, they've had it for a while. So I don't understand why they can't just figure out you know, the problems there and how they um, figured out the solutions and apply them to Milwaukee. To me, there's something else going on. I don't know, some jealousy with... Mayor Barrett. Well, or or you or, or money. I mean, I mean, let, let's face it. At the end of the day, that that's probably it. It's it's sort of like I, I think I think the city of Milwaukee is trying to figure out how to get its cut out of this. <laughs> you know, it's like you know what? How, how can we get our chunk of change out of this? Because I guarantee you, if there was, I guarantee you, if they found a way to make a whole bunch of money out of this, you would have Mayor Barrett um, again criticizing Scott Walker for making sure that these things weren't legal. Now, thanks for the call. I mean, I, I think that's what this is all about. See, and I, I appreciate, and I, and I take no position on the question of whether they're legal or they're illegal. Um, beyond the city attorney, no, nobody else has taken that position either. But I think you need to be speaking in a broader sort of sense, which is, are these? Would these things be overall good for the community? And if so, then instead of taking this attitude that we're going to fight them tooth and nail, figure out a way to make it work. That that's oh, this would be great. Hey, this is a way that people can you know go around. And as far as the people, you know, there's a story in the paper today, and you've got somebody saying, "Well, I seven month pregnant woman almost got run over by one." Okay, I I understand there's always going to be that abuses, but that doesn't mean that we don't rent bicycles because somebody. I don't know, might have, you know, ridden the bicycle at, at someone. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to Jeff in Elm Grove. Jeff, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hello, Jeff. How are you? I'm well, thank you. What do you think about these scooters? You know, I was telling the screener, I was just in California on Venice Beach, and I had my first uh, experience seeing the scooters, interacting with the scooters, and I did not see um, any reason why we shouldn't allow them in Milwaukee. Venice mm-hmm. Beach has much more of a pedestrian population on the boardwalk, and they were all over the place. Right. Um, they were a little intimidating the first time you see them or they whizzed by, but everyone controlled them. No one ran into anybody, and I was on Venice Beach for several hours watching. Right. And, and I'm sure there is a little bit of a learning curve. My guess is the first time you get on it, it, it you know, it, there, there's probably like a little bit of a learning curve. Gee, how fast does this thing go? How do you slow it down? And, and I'm sure, you know, but it's just like first time somebody rides a bike, they fall off occasionally and get hurt. So so you, you thought it was very positive. People were enjoying the things. You, you did. And, you know, on, on Venice Beach, they run bicycles, they run scooters, they run skateboards, they run everything. And there's a ton of pedestrians walking the beach. And it's not, it's on the boardwalk where all the shops and restaurants are. And they, they didn't have any limitations on them. They were all over the place. People did leave them when they were done with them. Right. People left them standing up on the side where they weren't in anyone's way. Um, like I said, the first time one whizzed by me, by me, I was a little, uh, yeah. taken aback. But once I knew they were there and to watch out for them, it was fine. Yeah. No, thanks for calling. Just like you have to, um, um, when we were, Fran and I were in Key West in, in February, I love Key West. I think Key West is great. I wouldn't want to live there, but I'd love to visit Key West for a few days or a week um, in February. But, I mean, th- that's the same thing. Key, in Key West, there's really very few cars. I mean, you're talking about an island that's, you know, one and a half miles by four miles. There, I'm not saying there's no cars, but there's very, very few cars. You've got trolleys. You've got lots of bikes. You've got you can rent those motorized scooters like the Vespa things, and you do have to pay attention. There, there's no question. You gotta before you walk across the, the street or whatever, you gotta look both ways because these things and there's scooters as well. You have to be mindful of it. and You have to start paying attention. And I'm sure there is a little bit of a learning curve. Now, a number of my texters are even more cynical than I am, Gru, who's producing the show today and always, because the underlying question is, of course, why is the city 
fighting this so hard instead of embracing it and trying to figure out a way to make it work? Well, I, I, I would say I have at least a dozen texters who are saying, Jeff, here's the thing. Face it. Nobody would use the bike or Tom's trolley if the scooters become popular. And so if you want to be a cynic, the argument would be we've got all this money invested in this trolley that they know is going to fail. They know that they're not going to get the ridership that they think. Well, if you take a bunch of the millennials who are supposedly loving the trolley and these scooters really take off, well, a lot of people might be riding the scooters instead of the trolley. Now, I'm I'm not I'm not going to be necessarily that cynical, but this is one where you'd want to say to the mayor and to the members of the common council, for the love of God, grow up and, and try to figure out a way to make this work. And I understand there's hoops you have to come through. I take no position on whether it's legal or not, but it seems to me you should be able to figure this out. They should be able to get an exemption. The city, I think, should be embracing these things instead of going exactly the opposite way. But that's just me. 1255, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 109, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Okay, Scott Warris. Let, let, let's, let's, let me hear that, that report on sure. Jabari Bar- Parker, who sort of played his or didn't play his way out of Milwaukee. Number two pick in the NBA draft. Huge disappointment. Will perhaps go down in Bucks history as one of the worst Bucks draft. Well, yeah. He was very injured, though. I had a couple very, of ACLs. But a very disappointment. I mean, a huge yep. disappointment. You, you, number two pick in the draft. Um, certainly injuries, whatever, never lived up to his expectations. Now he, he's headed back to Chicago, where he is from. Mm-hmm. All right, $40 million contract. Two gonna, years for $40 million. $20 million yeah, a year. Right, 20, $20 million <laughs> a year. All right, and, and the interview he gives says mm-hmm. what? I'm going to read these as a quote. Yeah, I paraphrase before. Here's the quote. Uh, he says, I don't know when asked about playing defense. I don't know. I just stick to my strengths. Look at everybody in the league. They don't pay players to play defense. I'm not going to say that I won't, but to say that's a weakness is like saying that's everybody's weakness. I've scored 30s and 20s off of guys who say they try to play defense. Okay. So in other words, he's saying, I'm a, <laughs> what, is, what was the Brewers player years ago with Chucky something rather? Chucky Hacks at 2 0. Right. Yeah. Right. You're right. Well, don't, don't expect me to take pitches. I mean, I, I swing. I don't care what the coaches say. So he's kind of saying, I, we, in the NBA, they pay, they don't pay us to play defense. So why, why bother? That's kind of the message. And there. he said there, and he didn't, I, I can't find the two names, but he said there have been only two players in league history. I'm paraphrasing this part. Only two players in league history who have ever played defense. So, oh, okay, you know, I, I just on so many different reasons. I think good. I, I wish him, I wish him well. Except when they're playing against the Bucks. But if that's kind of going to be your attitude, oh, twenty twenty million dollars. Hey, you expect me to play defense for twenty million dollars? And yeah, I don't know. I mean, maybe another throw in another ten, and maybe I'll consider doing. That. I'm not going to say I'm not going to play defense, but um, huh. Boy, I mean, imagine trying that at your workplace. Here, you know, Gru comes in and says, "Well, I'm, I'm not gonna, gee, I, I mean, I, I'm not gonna answer the phones. I mean, you, you know that, that I look, look at the production stuff I do. That's really good. I don't want to have to answer those phones." But isn't Parker just telling the truth? I mean, isn't that is is that not a true statement? Is he kind of getting some flack now for being honest? Maybe too candid. Well, 
if that's if that's the case, it says everything it needs to say about the the NBA. If that's if that Touché. is in fact yeah. the case, you know, that we don't we don't bother playing defense. I also actually don't think that's true. I mean, I, I think there's there's a number of players who have had very successful careers and. Um, you know, by by being the the guys that shut that down, I'm I'm sure I'm sure the Bulls coaches are probably just kind of shaking their head there. But all right, Jabari Parker, wish him well. I, I mentioned this on the program yesterday. I just I, I've seen some analysis, and and people keep missing the point on this. And I just I just want to reiterate it because it shows how how just crazy some people get when it comes to politics. Again, the, the Democrat primary for governor is three weeks from next Tuesday. Um, there are eight candidates. The Marquette University Law School poll comes out yesterday. Of the eight candidates, Tony Evers, who's won a statewide race, he's got 31%. No other candidate has six has more than 6%. No other candidate has more than 6%. And if it's really true that Evers is polling 31% now, that, that's going to, 31% may well be enough to win the election. With this, you know, it, clearly nobody's probably going to get a majority. You know, a plurality, 31% might be enough to win it. So you've got the seven other candidates, 6% or less. The candidate who I believe comes in sixth or seventh in the poll, and I understand you you can argue about the accuracy of the poll, but if you're polling 3%, all right, maybe even if your actual, even if your actual support is 8%, that's still not very good. The, the candidate that comes in at 3% is this woman named um, Kelda Royce, who is a former state representative, and she's kind of the darling of the liberal left. She was the one that got the endorsement of the Democratic uh, State Convention. Emily's List, who supports liberal women, Emily's List apparently gave her 80 grand. Well, the fundraising numbers came out. It, you had to, this week or last week, you had to report the amount of money that you'd raised by the end of June. So the fundraising numbers, you know, came out, and Kelda Royce had the most cash on, on hand. And so this was the thing. Yeah, hey, we, we, we've got some momentum here. You know, she's got more cash on hand to buy ads than anybody else. Well, she, she, the cash on hand she has is, was a couple hundred thousand dollars. And, and don't don't get me wrong, that's a lot of money. But if you're talking about a, a statewide media buy, that's nothing. I mean that's 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 not going to get you very far. That's just the flat out reality of this. And if you're polling at three percent, three and a half weeks before the election, trailing somebody by twenty eight points, uh, you know you're going to need a lot of money to overcome that. But anyhow, the headline was, "Hey, she's got the most money on on hand," which I think a number of us found interesting because, gee, where is this money coming from for somebody that has? No support that's showing up, at least in the broader polls. Well, it turns out, and this is the way candidates manipulate numbers from time to time. Apparently, what happened is a couple days before the finance reports were due, she took out a second mortgage on her her home or or tap-to-home equity line for $230,000. Now, the way the Journal Sentinel reports it is that, um, you know, she already, they owed like, I don't know, 300 grand or something like that on, maybe more than that on their house. And what she did is she tapped a personal home equity line, got $235,000, and then immediately after that, loaned her campaign $255,000 to create this impression that I think that she had raised more money than she had, but also, I mean, I guess the reality is that she's got this cash on hand, but it's all because 
She's mortgaged her home to the hilt, and she's pulling in at 3%. If I were to offer any advice, and I, I mean, look, I understand sometimes you have candidates who self-finance. Herb Cole self-financed. Herb Cole was richer than God. Herb Cole could write the checks, buy all the TV time, doesn't matter. Most people aren't in that situation. And I don't know, if you wonder what an addiction politics is, it, it kind of shows that you would take out a $235,000 home equity line on your house that you already owe hundreds of thousands of dollars on just to put it into the campaign. Now, it might be that she never really intends to spend that money because just because you loan it to the campaign doesn't mean that you're actually going to spend it. Maybe you loan it to the campaign, you get this headline, hey, she's got all this cash on hand, and you think that that's going to lead to other people donating. But the the truth of the matter is, um, if that's not the case, my advice to the former state representative would be, look, at this point in time, uh, I, I mean, I don't know, unless you really don't like that house, maybe what you want to do is have your treasurer, while there's still that money in the bank, write a check uh, back to you and then just kind of move on because... I don't know. I mean, that's a pretty darn risky thing, especially when you're polling at 3% to essentially put your home on the line. Some people might say it shows conviction. I think most people would say it shows that you're nuts. Just saying. It's 117. When we come back, what does it mean to censor somebody, and should the president be censored? Stick around. 117. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 119, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ, WTMJ, and KTI Country are fired up to share the greatest dessert in Wisconsin. Yours truly, and my friend and colleague Karen D'Alessandro from WKTI, we will be handing out six-packs of those famous cream puffs to the first 300 cars lined up in the Wisconsin State parking lot starting at 6 a.m. on Wednesday, August 1st. That's two weeks from Yesterday, it's the day before the state fair opens. It is once again back. Cream Puff Apalooza. Stop by for your chance to win. I will be out there. Karen will be out there. My producer Gru is just shaking. He said, you, you should really get your butt out of bed early and come out just to see what state fair looks like. It's in front of the uh, Pettit Ice Center. To get there, you see all these cars that are lined up. Some people leave their homes at 3 in the morning to get these six-pack of cream puffs. You should come and see it. It will be something that you will remember for the rest of your life. I, you're just kind of, you're looking at me. The response was, yeah, okay. Well, just, it, it's, 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 it's a very interesting experience. And, of course, the cream puffs are great. Folks from the state fair were over here today. They, they dropped off cream puffs. I, um, I, I'm not going, I'm, I'm trying to watch what I eat. So if people, if either my wife is listening or people who know my wife, I am not going to acknowledge whether or not I had a cream puff today. But if you want a six pack of cream puffs, we will see you Wednesday, August 1st, 300, first 300 cars lined up. We'll get a, a six pack of cream puffs hand delivered by either myself or Karen D'Alessandra. They typically set up like two uh, rows. All right. This is my educational portion of the program today that's going to lead into the next topic. Um, there are a number of Democrats, particularly on the left, who are on the far left, who are calling for President Trump to be sanctioned in some way, shape, or form for what I think fairly many of us believe was this disastrous pe- press conference um, held in Helsinki on on Monday. the The calls are the president should be censored. 
uh, and either the House of Representatives or the U.S. Senate should censor the president. And and I got to thinking, I, I don't know that we can have a discussion about this without people understanding what does it actually mean to to censure someone? What 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 does that encompass? And so I kind of start checking this out. Let, let's just, for the sake of argument, look at the House of Representatives. And Paul Ryan is the speaker. There's really three types of punishment that the House can come out with. One is that by a two-thirds vote, the House can expel one of their members. Uh, that, that hasn't happened very often. Matter of fact, mostly it was during the Civil War when you had members of the House of Representatives who uh, decided that they were going to go fight for the Confederacy. All right, that's so that's the rem- remedy. It is expulsion. Then what you have is the second greatest penalty, which is censure. Now, censure is a way that the House has of expressing the fact that it disapproves of conduct. Um, it would be a way that they have of representing deep disapproval of conduct. And it, it's just a majority vote. And it says, we censure you for what you did. Now, just looking at some of the things that they, they've used it for, again, most of the stuff goes back to the Civil War. <laughs> um, other things that have gotten censure were um, congressmen or women who sold appointments to the military academy. Uh, Gary, Jerry Studs and Daniel Crane were censored for sexual misconduct with a house page. Uh, Charles Wilson of, of Charlie Wilson's war, um, the congressman there, he was censored for receiving improper gifts, improper use of congressional funds, improper use of campaign funds. Other members were censored for after they were convicted of mail fraud or something like that. So there's censure. And then there is reprimand. And reprimand is actually different than censure. Reprimand is, is uh, it's disapproval, but they're showing disapproval for conduct that warrants a less severe rebuke than censure. So censure would be like when your dad yells at you, and rebuke might be when, um, and then reprimand would be when your mom yells at you. For for example, so th- those are the things. Well, in any event, a number of people are calling on either the Senate or the House to censure President Trump for what he did in in Russia. This would be the idea that by you know even if this doesn't rise to the level of of treason, and of course it doesn't rise to the level of treason. That's just crazy talk. Um, even if it doesn't rise to the level of an impeachable offense. The question becomes, is this something that was worthy of Congress officially going on record and expressing its disapproval in the way of a censure? And interestingly, at least in the fever swamps of some of the stuff I've been reading, they were saying, you know, there might be enough Republicans that are hacked off at the president that they would even consider voting for a resolution of censure. All right, 414-799-1620. I think this, again, is more crazy talk. I, I think the president made several mistakes, and I candidly, I think he has hurt his presidency. I think his approval numbers are going to take an even greater hit. I think there's going to be a lot of people who are disappointed, including a lot of Republicans, who are disappointed with the way he handled the events of the last several days. But does Congress, 
either the House or the Senate, do they gain anything by formally reprimanding him or censoring him, as some people would suggest? You only need um, 50% plus one to do that. Should we go down this route, or is this just, again, political gamesmanship, period? 414-799-1620. If you're on the line, we discuss. It's 126. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 128, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ, Dave in Appleton. Hi, Dave. Hi, how you doing, Jeff? Good. Should they censure the president for well, what happened in Russia? I hope they do, because, and I hope they just keep on doing this crazy stuff, because that should pretty much guarantee Donald Trump uh, maintaining uh, control and gaining strength in the Senate, and probably his re-election in 2020, because you're just going to bring all of us deplorables out. So you think this would, just like impeachment, I I think from a political strategy, impeachment, while it would appease, I mean, some of the the anti-Trump tribe, I think it would turn off most people. You think trying to go ahead with a resolution of censure would do the same thing, huh? Exactly. I hope Tammy Baldwin signs up, you know, and tries to lead the charge. Uh, Interesting. Thanks for the call. 414-799-1620. Dave in Waukesha. Dave, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hey, Jeff. How you doing? Good. I think it's silly talk. I mean, number one, there's no precedent. And number two, if, I mean, if, where do you stop that? I mean, nobody had an uproar when, you know, you get Obama caught on a hot mic leaning over, you know, telling right. a Russian diplomat saying, right, you know, right. hey, once they get elected, I'll have more, you know, latitude. Right. I mean, to me, that's much more, <laughs> you know, offensive than, than this. Right. You know, it's interesting. I've been trying to look up the history of this. And, um, you know, Bill Clinton, I don't believe he was even censured for his role in the Monica Lewinsky thing. Now, they started the impeachment action, but th- oh. there wasn't a censure that was there. Um, they tried. Let me see. Uh, the Senate considered something for Abraham Lincoln. I'm not sure that any president has, has ever been censured. Um, if yeah, so, you I, got you. But you'd have to go back to the Civil War, I think. Yeah, exactly. And then and then really. When you think about it, I mean, everybody's kind of losing sight of the, you know, some of the positives that came out of it too. Where Russia said they would, you know, be willing not to have a Russia, you know, Russia fan or anything like that, but they also said they would work towards, you know, protecting, you know, Israel and, and things like that. So I mean, there was a lot of, you know, and mm-hmm. that they would theoretically extradite the, um, you know, the twelve, right. you know, indictments and things like that. You know, I mean, it's just, it's just. It's silly talk. I mean, it makes no sense. No one's going to say treason. They don't even understand what the well. Well, that's right. I mean, you know, it was, it was funny because immediately after the press conference, and I don't think I don't think the president did a very good job at that. But I mean, when you start throwing around terms like treason, and there were people this, and and then as I was mentioning yesterday, there you got commentators out there, Dave, that are saying this was our generation's nine eleven. This was yeah, our generation's Pearl even. Harbor. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. that's yeah. not even. That's beyond. As you say, that's gone through the looking glass. Right, (laughs) exactly. And then, right, through the looking glass and back. Thanks for calling. All right, now I want to be historically accurate. Um, The example, 1848, the U.S. House of Representatives voted to censure President James Polk on the grounds that the Mexican-American War had been unnecessarily and unconstitutionally begun by the President of the United States. So that was a, a censure motion in 1848. I'm not sure. Um, I, uh, let's see. John Adams in 1800, maybe. But other than that, other than that, there, there's no historical precedent for it. Again, I, I think the best way to describe this, crazy talk. 
736, Chef Wagner, WTMJ, John Recure, and Melissa Barclay continue their series, America's Hidden Crisis. Today, they take a look at how mental health affects the homeless. That's at 3.30 on Wisconsin's Afternoon News. That's a great series they've been doing, so um, please check that out. All right. I, as, as, if you're a regular listener to this program, you know, I, I moved for the first time, actually, in my in since I moved to Milwaukee when I was 10 years old. I, I no longer live in Milwaukee County, so... For the years and years on the radio, when we talked about some of the stupid things that they were doing in Milwaukee County, it affected me directly. It was like, okay, the wheel tax, it affects me directly. Now I don't live in Milwaukee County, so now it's just a, a theoretical discussion of, of things that, that I have. But one of the things that came with moving is I, I want very much, of course, to vote in the primary election that's coming up um, in three-plus weeks. So... You can register same day at the polls, but I don't want to wait in the lines to do that. So the other day, I I went to the I went to the city hall or village hall or whatever city hall where I, I now live, and I, I registered to vote. Now in Wisconsin, if you want to register to vote, there's a couple things that you have to have. First of all, you have to have a photo ID. You have to prove that you are who you say you are. And I had that, had my driver's license, had my passport. I brought my driver's license. Now, my driver's license has my former address on it because in Wisconsin, just because you've moved, you have to notify the DMV that you've moved, which I did, but you don't have to get a new driver's license if you don't want to. You can keep the driver's license, the physical driver's license that has the old address on it until your driver's license expires and you need a new one. So notify the DMV I've moved. So the DMV has the new address, but I have a driver's license that has my old address on it. So when you go to register to vote, you have to have some document showing that you live where you say you live. So I brought in my, I had the utility bill. So I brought it in and filled out this questionnaire and it was was actually fine. The process took five minutes, no problem. But I, I did, again, picture ID and I had to prove that I lived in the area. Now, they did not make me prove that I was a citizen of the United, of, of the United States. But I'm pretty sure that there was a question that I asked, that they asked, that I, I checked yes, um, on the, on the, the questionnaire. I'm pretty sure of that. But I didn't have to prove that. I mean, I didn't have to prove, bring in the passport or a birth certificate or anything. My driver's license was good enough. And I think that's, I think that is a sufficient a sufficient thing, let's ask about this. Well, there are some places in the country where not only will they not ask you whether or not you're a citizen, but they don't care whether or not you are a citizen. Starting yesterday, San Francisco, and San Francisco is one of those places where if if the map of the United States was a bunch of marbles and you shook it, a couple of the loose marbles would stop off in Madison, but most would roll to California, and many would end up in San Francisco. Starting um, the other day, San Francisco began registering non-citizens, including undocumented immigrants, translate illegal aliens, to register to vote in the November election for the city school board. This follows a, a approval of of a measure by San Francisco voters which opened up school elections to any non-citizens who are over the age of 18, city residents, and have children under the age of 19. The idea being, regardless of whether you are in this country legally or not, 
regardless of whether you are otherwise eligible to vote in other elections, the argument is, hey, you've got kids in the school system. So even if you're here illegally, if you've got kids who are in the school system, that affects you and your kids. So even if you're in this country illegally, or even if you are in the country legally, but you're not a citizen or anything, you nevertheless, you have an interest in the schools, so the argument goes, you should be allowed to vote. In other words, we shouldn't care about citizenship. The overriding thing should be, are you affected by decisions that in this case the school board makes? And if so, you should have a right to have your voice heard. So in this upcoming election in November, you will have not only citizens who are voting, but you will have non-resident aliens who are voting, and you will have people who are in this country illegally who are voting as well. 414-799-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Should we expand this? Is this a good idea? Why do we limit the concept to, to simply citizens? Because, again, their thinking is, well, you've got people who are in this country illegally. That That's fine. They're still, I mean, they're paying payroll taxes, theoretically. They're living in the community. They have a vested interest in decisions. So why shouldn't they have the opportunity to weigh in on the quality of education their kids get? 414-799-1620. Should we expand this? Because you could actually make this argument about a lot of stuff. And should we bring this idea, say, to Wisconsin? The idea that, hey, you know, who cares if you're in this country legally or not? Who cares if you're a citizen or not? If you're affected by decisions, you got kids at MPS, shouldn't you be allowed to vote on the school board? On one level, it is perhaps a compelling argument. Should we do this here? 414-799-1620. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 142. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 144, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. All right, I'm not making this stuff up. In the November local elections in San Francisco this year, they will allow citizens to vote who are residents of San Francisco for school board. But they will, are also going to allow non-citizens to vote for school board, and they are going to allow illegal alien non-citizens to vote. So it doesn't matter if you're even in this country legally, you can be in the country illegally, but if you are living in San Francisco, you get to vote. The argument that, that the proponents make is, well, you know, why should it matter if you're a citizen? If you're living in the community and you've got kids in the school system, shouldn't you have the right to have your voice heard? Compelling argument on one level, perhaps, should we be doing that in Milwaukee? Should we be doing it in Madison? Should we say, you know, what the heck, if you're living in the area, you should have the right to vote? And I guess why limit it to local elections? I mean, if it's a good idea, I don't know, if you're here, if you're living here illegally, shouldn't you be able to vote for the state representative who represents your area? Why are we so hung up on this question of citizenship? Are we being unfair to people who aren't citizens. 414-799-1620. Let's start with Mike on the northwest side. Hi, Mike. Hey, good afternoon, Jeff. Hey, uh, your, your point is well taken. Why not uh, raise it up to the national level and have like, uh, people vote for the president 
uh, even if they're not uh, legal citizens. Well, yeah, I mean, I get. I mean, if, if this if this is a if this is a valid argument, why why limit it? Because the basic premise. I mean, why limit it to school board? I mean, if um, all right, if I'm if I'm living in a particular area. I'm presumably at least paying some form of taxes or something. Um, you know, why, why not give me a right to vote for my state representative or whatever? Why just limit it's, it seems to me it's either something, you know, you're in for a penny or in for a pound. Or you're getting tax benefits for nothing. Uh, well, I- I- exactly. But I guess, I mean, tell me, what would be your argument against it? Why shouldn't we allow illegal aliens, undocumented immigrants, why shouldn't we allow them to vote if they're in the community? My thought is that if you're here and you want to be here legally, get your legal status, and then you can vote. Uh, convicted felons can't vote, even though they're citizens here. And uh, I thought that uh, if you want to have a right to vote, you should be a legal citizen to have the right to vote here. Otherwise, you have no right to vote here. If I go to Germany to live there, and I'm not a citizen, <laughs> I can't vote there. Of course not. They've, thanks for call. Of course you can't, Mike. And and. and- and in most in most countries, they would laugh at you if you said, "Hey, okay, I'm a U.S. citizen, but I'm at, let, let's even assume that you're there on a visa, you're there legally. I'm a U.S. citizen, and, and right now I'm living in I'm living in Munich. I'm going to be here for the six, next six months. So some of the decisions that elected officials make that's going to affect me because I'm here. I'm renting an apartment. I'm paying some money for this, so I, I should be able to have some input. You try that argument, you're going to be laughed out of the room. But here in the United States, for whatever reason, because we have the the, the, the pro-illegal alien lobby is so strong that you have silliness like this that's going on. Okay, here's a text. Jeff, awful idea. You are affected by every election from school board to governor to president. By this logic, shouldn't illegal aliens be able to vote in those elections as well? If you want to vote, become a citizen. That is a great reward. Yeah, I mean, I, that's see, that's the thing. Why limit it? If it's a good idea, you should allow anybody who resides in an area to vote. Now, that's what the argument would be. I think that that would be disastrous. I also think it's foolish. Um, the people who make decisions, there have to be cutoffs. And the people who make the decisions, I think citizenship, you know, namely not just residency, but being a citizen of this country is that threshold. San Francisco apparently uh, does not agree. Jim in Port Washington. Jim, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. How are you doing? I'm well, thank you, sir. Uh, I have an issue because, you know, as a business owner, I have a I live in Belgium, but I have my business in port, and I can't even vote for the people that are here. Uh, and how, should we extend it to you know business owners to be able to vote wherever they have properties at? Yeah, but back, I'm, I'm kind of curious. What ex, ex, go through your situ, situation with me again? You, I, I, I live in Belgium. You live. You are okay. Live in Belgium. Okay. So, so I can vote in Belgium. Uh, I have a business in Port Washington. But I can't vote uh, for the mayor and uh, the alderman for the decisions that affect my property that I own. Okay. First of all, now I get it. You were saying Belgium. I was thinking you were talking Belgium, Belgium. You're talking Belgium, Wisconsin. Correct. Got it. Okay. That's that's why I made you back. I was thinking, okay, for for somebody, I was thinking, you live in Belgium, but you got a business port. Got it. You live in a different community. Well, right. Exactly. You know, you, well, you know, in Wisconsin, as a matter of fact, you, you're only, let's say you own property. You know, you have residences. You, let's say you've got a residence in Belgium and you've got another one in Door County. You can't vote in both. You know, you, you, you got to, you got to pick which one, which is your primary residence. And that's the one that you end up having to vote at. Yep. Yeah. It, no, thanks. I mean, again, this is, 
it, it's sort of one of these silly things, and but this is the direction that we are moving when it comes to this kind of stuff. And and, and you have these groups that are just, because the advocacy is so strong and because people are afraid of political correctness, what happens is that this kind of stuff goes along. There is a group, this is kind of my segue here, get this, on Saturday in the city of Milwaukee, a group that calls itself the National Commission for Voter Justice the National Commission for Voter Justice will be holding a field hearing in Milwaukee where they will be encouraging Wisconsin residents to speak publicly about voter suppression issues being conducted statewide. Let me translate what this is. You've got one of these heavy-duty, wacky, lefty groups that's going to be coming to town trying to get some free media coverage, which they will succeed in getting, promoting how terrible it is in Wisconsin that we make you prove who you are before you can vote. I continue from the story in the Journal Sentinel today. Attendees from Wisconsin include the president of the Milwaukee NAACP, political writer John Nichols, who is this way, way, way to the left guy out of Madison, and state representative Fred Kessler, who is about as far to the left as you can get without falling off the earth. Uh, let's see, the co-chairman of the group said the hearing would give Wisconsin residents a chance to give personal testimony of voter suppression, much like a hearing at a trial would happen. Speakers submitted written evidence before the hearing. So what that means is this is, they pre-selected people to tell these stories about how awful it is that you have to prove who you are. The hearings have taken place in several states, including Michigan, Florida, and California. But Wisconsin's voter ID law and a high-profile challenge to the state legislature's redistricting are why Wisconsin is at the center of voter suppression nationwide. Um, and again, the, the voter suppression issue is because you have to prove who you are at the polls. If this group really cared if this group, what do they call themselves, the National Commission for Voter Justice, if they really cared about people participating in the process, it wouldn't be a political stunt like this. But what they would be doing is they would be coming to Milwaukee with the idea of saying, you know what we're going to do? We are going to hold a voter ID drive, and we are going to, for you know X number of hours, if you are one of those unicorns, one of the handful of people who tried to vote but couldn't because you weren't actually able to get a voter ID, what we're going to do is we're going to help you. If the group really cared about this, that's what they would be doing. Because the reality, as we've talked about on many occasions, is if you don't have a picture ID, you cannot participate in most avenues of, of life. I mean, just you just need a photo ID to do so many things. So if this group really gave a rat's rump about people voting and, and voter suppression, what they would be doing is they'd say, fine, we're going to work with you. We're going to try to get you an ID. What is your problem? We're going to have people in town. If you're one of those people that has a problem, you haven't been able to get an ID for whatever reasons, here we're going to work with you and get you the ID. In that way, they would be able to better people's lives. Instead, this is this political stunt to try to, again, get free media attention to suggest that, oh, there's this terrible thing that the, the evil Republicans are suppressing votes. 
by making you prove who you are. And mark my words, the media will guppy on this big time. It's 154, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 208, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Okay, Melissa and Scott, I have a question for you both. As a lead into the next topic I want to discuss. Drew, you can probably get on this as well. You, Melissa, Scott, and Drew. Mm-hmm. Uh, M- M- Melissa and Scott, you guys are both single, right? Correct. Yes. Correct. Okay. I knew it. All right. So this is a theory. Oh, this is like such a weird question. Uh, I wonder where this yes, is going. Yes, we are. It is. So it is a theoretical question since you are both. So, I mean, it, it, that's because you have to anticipate how you would react as opposed to your actual reaction. That's why I asked that. All right. Let's start with you, Scott. Okay. If you were married. Okay. All right. Would it? Bo- Gosh, I don't know where this is. Would it keep a straight face here? Would if you, you were married, would it bother you if your wife made more money than you did? Do you think that would bother? Be honest. Do you think it would bother you? There was a time when it would, but the older I get, I don't think it would. Okay. I, well, maybe there would be a limit. Maybe there would be a point if. But it was it was a yes or no question. Would it bother you? Do you think it would bother you? And again, we're talking about theoretically because you're not married. Mm-hmm. Do you think it would bother you if your wife made more money than you did? Possibly, yes. All right. We will switch this around. Okay. Melissa, if you were married, would it bother you if you made more money than your husband did? Possibility. Only depending on if he was making a significant amount less than me. And I knew maybe he wasn't trying. That would be the only way that it would bother me if I knew that he really wasn't putting forth the effort that right. he should. But if you're, let's say but it's an example of your husband is, is good at something mm-hmm. and loves to do something, yes. it just pays less than you make, do you think it would bother you? No, I don't think so. Right, yeah, I mean, if he, if he was, like, laying yeah, around the house... Yeah, I knew that house, he was legitimately working right. hard and there, there's something a good he, man. Right, there's something he loves to do, and, and he does it well, and he works hard. It's just the profession he's in pays less than yours. You don't think it would bother I you? I don't think so, no. All right, Gru, we'll let you get into this. Would it bother you if, if Mrs. Gru made more money than you did? Not at all. <laughs> he didn't even have to... Th- he didn't have to think not, about that at all. Not, no, <laughs> not, like, not at all. Nope. <laughs> not. He said. He, he says not at all. We oh. are in radio, so you know. Oh, oh, well, <laughs> I, 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 look, I I want to I want to weigh in on it. Weigh in on this yeah. because um, my my late wife, who was a, a high power attorney at a big law firm. Um, and, and we, we went off in, in different kind of career paths. You know, we went to law school together. I was in the attorney's office. Um, but I mean, I make no bones about it. She, she made more money than, than I did. Um, I, now, again, I, I loved, I have been very blessed in my life, whether when I was practicing law and doing this, to make a good living doing something that I love to do. But, but she made a lot more money than I did. And, you know, and I will tell you, it, I never lost. It never bothered never, you. No, not at all. Because matter, matter of fact, I saw it as, as being kind of freeing. The fact that, that she was financially doing, and she was a brilliant lawyer, but the fact that she was doing <clears throat> that, it, it free, it gave me the flexibility and the freedom to do something that I really love to do without having to necessarily 
worry as much about money. No, and I, I just it never and ego wise. No, I, well, I think <laughs> if you're both communicate how you're feeling and you don't have one person holding it over someone else's head, I think you're fine. And oh, I'm mm. willing to bet if you love what you do and you love radio and right. I love radio. Yeah. That will help you get over that mental hurdle rather than if you hated your job, I hate my oh, job right. yeah, yeah. and I make substantially right. less than my spouse. Well, and I mean, it was just it was never a competition. That's a good it was point. OK. You know, you're OK. You're a couple and this is and you're a team. You know, right. Exactly. exactly. And, yeah. and if in it, you know, could it have gone in different directions? But and, and I mean, I'm I, I'm treat I'm paid very fairly here. I, I mean, that's not a complaint. But but again, it never bothered me. Now, there is a reason why. And grew. You feel the same way. You like what you do. You love what you do. Their success is your success. What a remarkably adult attitude. I'm going to steal that line. All right. Their <laughs> success is your success. Okay. Now, now here, there's, there's a new study out. This is why I bring this up. Um, there's a new study out. And, and what you had is these researchers went back and they looked at census data. And um, th- what they found, this is kind of interesting. They looked at, at census data and, and tax filings between 2003 and 2013. So that's that's the range, and without going too much into the metho- methodology, they found in their study about about one in four at one in four couples, it was the woman that made more. So seventy five percent the guy made more, twenty five percent approximately the woman made more. And I, I don't have the ranges whether we're talking hundreds of thousands, but but that was it. And what they found was that in in those relationships. Where the woman made more, they found that um, those those marriages were um, more likely to end in divorce, much more likely to end in divorce. And then they went on to say, as a matter of fact, that there were uh, uh, what they also concluded was that they were less likely. The marriages were less likely to form in the first place. Meaning that, you know, if it's a situation where the woman is making dramatically more for whatever reason, whether it's a woman or the guy, they, they just never married in the first place. So that was a known factor in the decision. Hey, should we get engaged? Maybe the guy has cold feet because he sees that as a potential or, hurdle. Or the woman decides, the woman, you know, yep. Uh, yep. you know, I, I, I don't want to be the principal breadwinner right. in the family. Well, that could be a problem. I mean, it just all depends on how your relationship is and how you communicate that and... Yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm with Groot. Never lost. Which <laughs> is like, oh, Groot's like, nope, not maybe, a problem. Maybe that shows that. No, no, but, but maybe that shows my superficial. No, but it was, it was like, look. Well, I think for some men, it probably makes them feel bad that they don't make enough. But I think then you have to communicate with your partner that you know maybe it does make you feel that way, and hopefully you can work it out. No, I, like I say, for me, it gave me the flexibility to perhaps do other sure, stuff yeah. without having to worry about okay this is a certain lifestyle that you want and but but i found that to be interesting all right so you've heard us talk about this 414-799-1620 that is the acunate mortgage talk and text line where do you come down on this ladies and gentlemen would you have from a guy's perspective do you have an issue would you be uncomfortable if your spouse your wife was earning more money than you. Would it be an ego thing, an self-esteem thing? Would you have an issue with it? Ladies, if you were the principal breadwinner, you're making more dough than your husband. And again, we're, we're assuming for the sake of argument that everybody's working and things like that. I mean, I, I understand there might be some frustration with, hey, you know, you, you, have, you haven't been looking for a job for the last three years or whatever. But I'm talking about, you know, both people are employed 
And in this case, it's the, the female, the woman, who is making more than the guy. Would, would, that, would that be a hesitation? Would that cause a rift in your relationship? Because I, I find the study to be just absolutely fascinating as to where people come down. All right, now be honest. 414-799-1620. And I would like input from both male men and women about this issue. 414-799-1620. Does money make a difference? And does how much the respective partners earn, does that make a difference? Be honest. 216, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 219, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. If you're just tuning in, there's this new research out and I'm talking approximates, uh, of, of married couples, about 25% of the women make more money than the men, which means the men make more money in 75% of the cases. What they find is in those relationships where the, the woman makes more money, those relationships are more likely to end a divorce or they're, they're never likely to form in, in the first place whether it's because of the the woman or because of the guy, we're talking about whether it would bother you guys if your spouse, your wife, made more money, or vice versa. Ladies, if you're making more money than your husband, does that bother you? 414-799-1620. Let's talk to, uh, let's see, Todd in Muskego. Todd, you're first. Hello. Hey, how you doing? Good. Okay, would this bother you? Uh, it does not bother me. I'm currently in that situation, and uh, I agree with Brew. Um, yeah, I couldn't be more happy for her. Yeah. <laughs> well, and you and you get the benefit of it, I would assume. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we're thrifty with our spending. Believe me, we're not out uh, doing any lavish spending, but I, I have a very flexible work schedule, yeah. and that really allows for us. Um, you know, I, I play a bigger role with my children. We have a three-year-old and a one-year-old, and mm-hmm. I'm at doctor appointments all the time. Well, my wife doesn't have the availability with her work schedule to do that where I do. So, you know, no. it, it's put and take. It is, yeah. It's a team effort to, to really hit our end goals, and at right. the end of the month, we're not looking at um, who's in the red and who's in the black. Got it. Thanks for the call. Four, I'm, I'm just, and there's no right or wrong answer here. I'm just... I I found this to be an interesting issue because, like I say, I it it never bothered me that my late wife made more money than I did. I mean, I, I, I a matter of fact, I found it to be freeing. It gave me the flexibility to make some career choices that made me happy in my life. And she, I think, appreciated the fact that you know this 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 is making you happy. So I mean, it's it's not kind of that that ego that ego thing. I mean, I I think it's. To me, it wasn't an issue, but clearly it is an issue to some people. 414-799-1620. Gary in Genesee Depot. Gary, you're in WTMJ. Hi. Hi, Gary. My my wife pretty much always made more money than I did, and we were both in commission positions. Mm-hmm. I would say she worked harder than I did. Uh, we looked at it as a friendly competition. I mean, I busted my whatever uh, some of those years to try to keep up with her and uh, she beat me she beat me every time <laughs> but then again later on she decided she had had enough I mean it was a, a bit of a pressure pit position lots of long hours longer than I was willing to put in and uh, so she bailed and she started her own businesses which um, at, of course at that point I I was the one that was making that much more money than she was but she was enjoying her work so she earned that, you know, she she uh, was able right. to put herself into something she really enjoyed doing. 
even if the pay wasn't there. Right, and, and you were cool with that because you figured, okay, well, I, I want her to be happy. She's done this for the longest time. She's you know burned out or unhappy with what she's doing. I want her to be happy at home. I want her to be happy at work. So you were fine with that. Yeah, that was real easy for me. Yeah, interesting. Thanks for the call. 414-799-1620 is a text. I wish my wife made more than I do. Our earnings go into the same bank account. Who who cares? We both end up, you know, living better. That's another text. I always told my wife that I would love her to make enough so that I could live the style to which I would like to become accustomed to. Yeah, honey, you need to make more money. Let's talk to Renata in New Berlin. You're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi, Jeff. Hi, there was a point in time in our relationship when I made more money than my husband, and he it didn't bother him in the least. The only thing that was um, strange to him was that he was a skilled um, tradesman. He had a skill, and I worked at Breeze and Stratton at Peacework, and I made, at that time, buco bucks there. Uh-huh. And but it didn't bother him, you know. It, like you said, it went in the same place. We worked together, you know, for our home and and everything. So it didn't bother him. But did it, it bother you? It, did it bother no, you that you made no, more money? Okay, not at all. Not at all. It 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 was what it was at that period in time. But it was very stressful on me, and eventually I went back to school and I got the job that I loved and had wanted to do my whole life. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, no, thanks. I mean, that's, I mean, I see, I think that, that, that's kind of the key. Matter of fact, that's, that to me is one of the, the great things about, you know, relationships where you have that kind of flexibility and a lot of people aren't fortunate enough. You know, you, you have to, there is the financial pressures and those type of things. And I, I guess, you know, in, in one respect, and sometimes it's the one partner, whether it's the husband or the wife, may, maybe they're making some of the sacrifices. They're, they're working hard because, you know, you do need to have a certain amount of money to support your particular lifestyle. But, but who makes that money never bothered me at all. I mean, it's, it, that's, if you're married, it's, you're a partnership. Tom, Tom, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi, Jeff. Thanks Hi, Tom. for taking my call. Thanks for calling. Uh, I just want to say, I, I like your show. I listen to you every day. Thank you, sir. Um, uh, I, I've been with my wife for, 32 years. We, we dated for 10 years. We've been married for 22. Uh, I was always the breadwinner. Um, well, for the first 10 years of our relationship, uh, she was a waitress uh, working in high-end restaurants, um, making good money. But she came to me one day, and she was all upset because I had everything. You know, I'm a, I was a commercial printer, and I worked for uh, a large printer in Wisconsin. I'm sure everybody knows who that is. Um, but she um, was a, was a waitress, and you know she wanted to you know give more to the family. That's well, if you're not happy, you know, being a waitress, um, then do something else. And she wasn't sure what she wanted to do. And I said, well, let's think about it for a second. I mean, the world is going into computers and technology. You know, why don't you get in that type of field? Mm-hmm. So she did, and now she makes. Uh, more than twice what I make. Good, good call, Tom. I mean, good, good. You got her into the right career choice, huh? Right, exactly. And and I'm fine with it, and she's okay with it, you know. So, uh, but it, you know, we're, and it works for us, and I, I don't have a problem with it at all. Right. So it do, it doesn't bother you. I mean, at the, at the end, every two weeks or at the end of every month, you know that 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 that's a joint bank account, and you know, <laughs> the more money that's in there, yep. regardless of where it's coming from. No, thanks, I appreciate. See, this was an interesting thing to me, and I I think that most people. Would feel like that, and again, I I understand. Mate, you you change the facts a little bit. If you have 
you know, one partner that feels that the other partner isn't trying or you don't have that, you don't have that relationship. Um, and you think that, okay, well, you're, I, you know, I'm busting my butt. You're not doing anything. You're not contributing, but that's probably the sign of, a of, you know, stuff, other stuff going on in a relationship beyond just that. My, here's a text. My daughter-in-law makes more money than my son. They are very happy. They just celebrated 13 years of marriage. Yeah. The son is probably going, Hey, that, that, that's great. You know, we're, we're able to take a couple of these trips or whatever because, you know, we've got the extra dough coming in. In any event, that, that's, I think there's a couple interesting numbers in the study. Like I say that, that it's, it's only, and I say only 25% of the couples where the woman makes more than the man, and then that it, it does at least still cause problems. My guess is as time goes on, more and more people are going to kind of get away from hang-ups with those, those gender identity roles where it's got to be the male that's the breadwinner, and it's got to be the, the lady that stays home and takes care of the kids. I think that's changing, and I think it's going to continue to change. 227, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 236, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. We're beginning to learn more about Brett Kavanaugh, President Trump's choice for the Supreme Court. What does his road to the highest judicial bench look like? John Mercure explores. Tune in 320 this afternoon on Wisconsin's Afternoon News. All right. What is that smell? Let me sniff this out. Hmm. Do I smell bacon? No, no, it's it's not bacon. It's what is it? Oh, it's an election year, and and people are running for uh, election or re-election who, who don't have many legislative accomplishments, so what are they trying to do? Well, here's the classic example. Tammy Baldwin, who is up for now, – now, she has been in office for going on six years. That's the term of the U.S. Senate. She is up for re-election in a couple months. So she's now going to introduce, for the first time in six years, she is going to be introducing some legislation. She hasn't introduced it, but here is the bill that she is introducing. She wants to extend, she wants to make it a federal law to extend Packers games broadcasts to parts of northern Wisconsin that don't always get them. All right. So what does this mean? Well, there are, there are media markets. For example, you know, if you're where I'm sitting now, we're in the Milwaukee media market. There's the Madison media market. There's the Green Bay media market. And you have different cable companies that service those markets. And as part of servicing the local market, you will have, they'll carry the local newscasts, for example. So if you, you, have spectrum cable you get the the you get channel four and channel six and channel 12 and channel 58 and whatever you get those local newscasts you also get the football games that attach to that particular market so i again the if you're in green bay you get the football games you get the packers games and the way it works is the the milwaukee market is for NFL purposes, it's considered to be you know part of the Green Bay market for NFL purposes. So we get the Packers games in Milwaukee. If you live in the Chicago market, you get the Chicago Bears games. Well, there are portions of this state that even though the people live in Wisconsin, they are part of other media markets. For example, in Wisconsin, there are 13 counties 
that are either in the Minneapolis-St. Paul market, the Duluth-Superior, or the Marquette-Michigan TV markets. Now, why would this matter? Well, if you're living in, I don't know, um, if you're living in an area, let's say a Milwaukee, a Wisconsin county that's in the in the Minneapolis media market, what mean what that means is when football season rolls around, you're going to get the Minnesota Vikings games on the cable on the cable or the satellite. You're not going to automatically get the Packers games. So that means you have to sign up for the NFL ticket or, or whatever. Okay, so this would be kind of a first world problem in many situations. Tammy Baldwin is now in- indicating that she is going to be introducing a bill that would make it a federal law that would require cable, satellite, and other video providers to provide Wisconsin subscribers with access to programming from broadcast television stations in the Wisconsin media market. So if you're, I don't know, in the northern part of the state, close to the Upper Peninsula, and you're in the Marquette, Michigan market, so you're getting Detroit Lions football games, for example, Tammy Baldwin would make it a federal law to require the cable satellite or other video providers to give you access to the Packers games instead of the Detroit Lions games. All right, now let me kind of back up on this particular one. First of all, I certainly understand, if you live in Wisconsin, why you would want to see the Packers games instead of the Vikings games or the Lions games. I get all that, so I understand it. At the same time, is this really the purpose of the federal government to tell these cable companies that this is, you know, you're going to have to create a separate, you know, you're getting the cable, you know, based out of Marquette, Michigan. You're in that market, but we're now going to have to create a separate subclass of customers that are now going to have access to the, the Packers games. I mean, is that is that really the purpose of the federal government? Or is there something else kind of going on here, especially with the timing of this? She's been in office for six years. This, to the extent it is a problem, it hasn't been something that inspired her to introduce any legislation over the first six years she's been in office, four months before the election. Now she's concerned that Packers fans in Hudson aren't able to see the games on their TVs. And, and this, by the way, it doesn't affect broadcast cable, the broadcast networks, the over-the-air stuff. We're just talking about cable or satellite or whatever. But it hasn't bothered her until three months before the election. What could be going on here? Tom in Germantown. Tom, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Tom? Hello. Hi, Tom. Yep. What do you yeah, think? So I guess my thought is Tammy is just trying to buy votes, and I don't think that the federal government has anything to do with what broadcasters show on their particular networks because they're all private businesses. So I truly think she's just trying to buy votes and she's done absolutely nothing in office for the past six years. Yeah, I mean, now the, the, the federal government, you know, through the, the FCC, I mean, does, I mean, regulate, you know, cable and satellite providers in a way. But, right, this idea that we're now going, <laughs> the idea that we're going to create a separate federal law that makes cable networks who operate out of one state offer football games to people who live in Wisconsin. 
Give me a break. <laughs> you know, give me a break. Now, thanks for the call. 414-799-1620. And again, if this was, if this was a sincere issue, now the, the way this gets cloaked is like Baldwin's people will say, well, you know, it, it's also, it, it's not just for the Packers games. It's important to have access to the, you know, the, the local news. So, you, you know, you want to have, find out what's going on in your particular community. Well, there's ways you can get that if you want. But again, if this was an issue, wh- where have we been for the last five and three quarters years? Or is this one of these things that, hey, I'm looking to try to create something at the last minute to give me a, an ad for TV? Uh, Sean in Germantown. Sean, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hey, Jeff. Um, I see this as complete pandering. I mean, you have these naive voters that haven't seen or heard anything from Tammy Baldwin in the last five and a half years, and now here she is on TV wearing her Packers sweatshirt that she might wear once or twice a year and, you know, makes a TV commercial out of it. But the funny thing I see about it is um, Sean Duffy tweeted this out this morning that he actually had the same idea a couple years ago. So, I mean, Sean was probably pandering for votes at the same time, too, but, I mean, it's, it's politicians doing politician things, and... You know, it's frustrating, it's annoying, and you're right, federal government doesn't need to get involved in something like this. And But if, like Sean tweeted in his, or mentioned in his tweet, if she wanted to do something back then, she could have rallied around support of, of his idea back then when well, well, right. you know, she it's, was doing it in Congress. Well, you know, it's interesting that you could say that, because Ron Johnson, back in 2016, he, he you know, he, he had the same sort of thing, and... Um, as far as I remo- recall, Tammy Baldwin didn't support Johnson's effort back at the time. Maybe this is the latest thing that Wisconsin politicians roll out a couple months before an election right. or something. Right. But, I mean, but- and we don't run, we don't hear about it until the fall when people are upset about you know not seeing their Packer games and things like that. And I get it; it's annoying if you're if you're living over you know in western Wisconsin and things like that. But for it's not the place for the federal government to be getting involved and. You know, we have we have larger issues that they need to be worrying about. Than well, well, I agree. I mean, for votes like this. right. I mean, thanks. Look, I mean, I, like I, I understand. I mean, it's I mean, the alternative is if you're in one of these markets, believe me, I, I get that it's frustrating. But then then that's why they, they have, you know, the 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 prime, the ticket package, just the Sunday ticket package or. You know, that's why they have the bars that have it, so you can go and watch it in there. And is this an inconvenience? Well, well, sure, it's an inconvenience, but you can make that same argument. There's How far do you take this? Because, you know, some cable providers offer different alternative shows than others. So should it be, hey, I want to, you know, I, I, I should have a right to see these different shows or things like that. I mean, there's alternatives. But the bottom line, the reason I bring this up is, of all the different of, of all the different issues that you can introduce to the extent that this is a valid issue and a matter of concern it, it should have been addressed years ago and the fact that you trot it out in July a couple months before the election just it, it screams screams dances and sings pandering as opposed to serious just saying 245 Jeff Wagner WTMJ 248 Jeff Wagner WTMJ WTMJ, that's us, and our sister station, KTI Country. We are fired up to share the greatest dessert in Wisconsin. Yours truly, and my friend and colleague, Karen D'Alessandro from KTI Country. We will be handing out six packs of cream puffs to the first three cars lined up at the Wisconsin State Fair parking lot starting at 6 a.m. on Wednesday, August 1st. It's Cream Puff Palooza. Stop by for your chance to win. And that's all you have to do. You have the first 300 cars that line up. I was telling the story the other day, years ago when we did this, 
We, we made it hard. We, you'd have to email us your contact information, and then we'd select people, and then we'd send you a coupon, and then you'd have to come down and line up and get the coupon, and lots of people got them and never came down to cash them. I mean, it was just a lot of work. So we make this as user-friendly as possible, I guess, in that, you're, you know, first 300 cars in line starting at 6 a.m., we will be there. I'm trying to convince my producer, Gru, just to see this. You should see this at least once. You should get your you know, chunky butt out of bed. If i got to get my chunky butt out of bed and come out just once to, to see this, it is quite an experience. Um, we're doing it Wednesday, August 1st, which is the day before the State Fair open. open. State Fair opens two weeks from today. So this is the day before the State Fair opens, starting at 6 a.m. If you have been part of Cream Puff of Palooza before, you know um, just how very, very cool it is. We always have a lot of fun um, with this. Okay. Uh, interesting. You know, another day, another carjacking, and and another police pursuit. A couple weeks ago, you had the big press conference, and this was, remember, we, we had the horrible situation where you had the police pursuit, and the Milwaukee police officer lost his life when the car rolled over. And then we had the district attorney, and we had the police chief, and we had the mayor and all these other officials talking about how, you know, people have to stop running from the police. And unfortunately, the, 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 the message has not gotten through. And I, I, I track this on a regular basis. Over the weekend, there were two situations involving Milwaukee County sheriff's deputies where they pulled over cars, and the cars took off and ran. And as I've always said when I'm discussing this, the, the, the problem is a, a cop, a police officer, a sheriff's deputy, whatever, they don't know why somebody's running. All they know is they pulled somebody over for going through a red light or whatever, and the person is taken off on them. So for anybody who says you shouldn't chase, they shouldn't chase unless they know that what the person's done, well, you don't know most times what the person's done. In the two instances over the weekends where sheriff's department deputies chased, both of which ended up in the cars wrecking, they found, that, they found out the reason the people ran. They were convicted felons who were driving around with guns in their car and they ended up getting the felons, and they got the guns off the street because of the pursuit. Well, you had this story um, the other day. Two people taken into custody actually early this morning following a carjacking and a police pursuit that ended in Whitefish Bay. Now, get what happened. 1 a.m., a carjacking occurs on 31st and Villard, which is really nowhere near um, Whitefish Bay. Uh, the police try to... Again, apprehend the person who is responsible. This is a carjacking. So what happened is out there, the carjacking gets reported. Officers locate the vehicle. The guy takes off, and the police follow. Um, ultimately, they were able to stop the car using stop sticks in Whitefish Bay around kind of like by where the Jewish Community Center is, kind of Lake Drive up in, in that area. One suspect taken into custody. Um, the other suspect, both of them to get out of the car and run, and ultimately they're, they're caught after a chase. But the bottom line is you have another chase. This is a result of a carjacking and people who ran. I applauded the mayor. I applauded the police chief. I applauded the district attorney for talking tough about people running. But the truth of the matter is it is still happening on a regular basis. The answer is not having the cops chase. The answer is... When they catch people who run, the district attorney's office 
needs to charge these people with every possible crime, including the fleeing from police. And Milwaukee County judges need to realize this is a big deal, and they need to start dropping the hammer on people that run. And if they don't, well, then the mayor and the police chief and the DA should be calling press conferences and calling out judges for ridiculous sentences. And if that doesn't work, then what needs to happen is legislators, both Republicans and Democrats, need to get together and they need to pass mandatory minimum penalties if the judges aren't going to do the job, which says that if you run from the police, you're going to prison for at least three years, period. And then once that word gets out, maybe fewer people will stop running. But the answer to this isn't don't chase. The answer is penalize the people who do chase because it puts people's lives at risk. And unfortunately, that word don't run is not getting out. All right, it's 254. When we come back, we're going to find out what John and Melissa and Scott Warris have on their minds for Wisconsin's Afternoon News. Please stick around.